Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Bejen. It's a Thursday. You're allowed to sleep over at your best friend's house, even though it's a school night. It's her birthday. She's turning 13. You get dressed up and turn on MTV. Chris Rock slinks out on stage at the Metropolitan Opera House, a place you've never heard of in a place that you won't go to until you're in your 20s. He says he's the first black man to ever be up there without a mop. You laugh because you love Chris Rock, but don't fully comprehend the implications of that joke. It's the VMAs on 9999, and it feels like anything is possible when you're waiting to watch Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, TLC, and NSYNC perform. Life is good. So good. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So this was... I was inspired by real life events of being able to go to my best friend's house for a sleepover on her birthday during the 99 VMAs and it feeling like the biggest deal ever. And I feel like the VMAs are like a perfect slumber party show, mm-hmm. even though they did, they never took into account that their audience was like 12 to 16 year olds who uh, might not yes. be able to pull such a feat. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the airtime for this 8 p.m. to 11:13 p.m. on a school night. MTV, come on, the onkers, come on, I'm in truly. <laughs> But I do believe the Purple Prophet Prince predicted a party like this. And on 9999, months before the adorable Y2K scare, we got the most iconic MTV Video Music Awards. We've talked a lot about music and music videos from 1999 specifically. So it seemed fitting to me that we would finally talk about one of the last great VMAs, especially since this year MTV recently re-aired the 99 VMAs. And I got a surprising amount of text messages from friends about it. Like, are you watching this right now? I'm like, no, I'm depressed. Go away. I'm not watching anything. I don't want to feel joy. But I kind of am kicking myself now because it was really difficult to find the real show or like good clips from it to rewatch for this episode. Like I watched almost all of the performances, but oh boy, does the quality and performance upload vary? Like some of it is oh, like yeah. someone filming their TV on a handheld <laughs> camera uploaded. Like it was the DVD or it was a tape turned into a DVD and then uploaded onto YouTube. Like it's compressed, honey. I legitimately so. found that the best high definition clips for some of these old VMAs, and I'm not just talking about 99, but in general, were if an artist YouTube channel actually had them like Madonna has pretty decent quality um, clips of her performances at VMAs, but it's only because she has a team of people she pays a lot of money to do that for. Otherwise, as you said, uh, grainy is the word I, I, I believe best describes most of these clips. 
so dark so dark that when i tried to watch the lauren hill performance like it was pitch black I'm like obviously this is not her performance and then i heard her voice i was like oh, wait where is she i it is but like it is nighttime in this room and they did not turn up the brightness on their screen i'm like i am screaming internally trying to watch this performance to take notes <laughs> but i would also say that thank god for britney spears's team you know no matter you know hashtag free britney or whatever but they had a clear clip with good audio of her very first performance at the MTV VMAs. So at least there's small things like that. But yeah. uh, if you were not uh, fortunate enough to catch it on MTV, you know, you're kind of stuck like us watching these <laughs> these stray clips <laughs> and there's on a, YouTube. There's a little bit of that. Wait, was that a fever dream or did that actually happen? Let me try oh. to Google this description. <laughs> <laughs> But some of them aren't labeled prop. I mean, no. we're just like in the weeds here with like metadata, but some of them aren't labeled properly. And so you're like, is this 99? So you got to like cross reference and you start to feel like Charlie from It's Always Sunny. You're like, Carol <laughs> in HR knows the answer. I just like, felt insane having to like cross reference performances and like what they were wearing and what songs they were. Jesus. <laughs> Oh, God. I mean, really, the wild... I think one thing that was just brought up about this whole, like, with the MTV VMAs was just the kind of randomness of it all and the fact that its most notorious moments were the unscripted things. I think MTV tried to make these iconic performances, which, you know, to be fair, many of them are. But what one... AV Club article perfectly points out is the moments that we talk about now and we'll be talking about throughout this podcast were often the unscripted ones of just like MTV did not expect us to happen. MTV producers like advised for this to not happen and it did. And now 20 years later, that's the thing that we care about the most. We don't care about whatever, um, you know, this really iconic moment was supposed to be. What would you think even some of the scripted iconic moments were supposed to be? I mean, I mean, I think that Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley, maybe like just them stepping on stage. But maybe I don't know. Maybe that wasn't even scripted. Maybe that was just like they were showing up. But then the kiss part is what we remember, which wasn't expected. I don't know. I really, really don't know. But I, it feel it often feels like that's, you know, MTV's intent is like, oh, we had this person perform with this person. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But then I'm st we're still talking about boob flopping, you know. <laughs> 20 plus years ago. Well, I mean, you have the backstory on it because I'd be curious to know because I think a lot of a lot of the VMAs is, is kind of like divas live in the sense that putting a bunch of artists together and seeing what happens. I mean, it's also even kind of the real world school of thought. Yeah. If you want to make the reality show specific to MTV of just like, who knows? And I don't know if it's because music videos have lost their budget or music videos don't don't play as big of a part because we don't watch everything all at the same time or wait for something to premiere sort of like at the same time or with the same amount of anticipation anticipation as before or you know everybody likes to go back and be like oh it's because of social media but I just don't feel like the VMAs kind of carry any sort of specific like as much of like a weight as it used to it feels no. like it's it's so unimportant and I know that they keep trying to you know make it happen like they keep getting like different hosts that they think will work like Kiki Palmer which I think is like a smart choice but obviously like a weird year to be having a award show although you know against all odds they're still doing it yeah I mean I think what's interesting is it did kind of start as an alternative to the Grammy Awards so it's been going on since 1984 um, as you guys know, when you win a video music award, you're given a statue of an astronaut on the moon, which is an homage to MTV's first commercials. Over time, the statue is simply called a moon man. In 2017, Chris McCarthy, the president of MTV, announced that they would be known as moon persons moving forward. Um, the statues are actually designed by the same people who designed the original MTV logo, Manhattan Design. 
It's important to note that the Grammys actually started awarding their Best Short Form Music Video and Best Long Form Music Video Awards in 1984, the same year the first VMAs were held. But what's notable here are the people being nominated in those categories uh, for the first few years versus who was being nominated for VMAs. So just like here's the list in 1984 of people being nominated for Best Short Form Music Video. It's Duran Duran, which, okay, that makes sense. They were heavily on MTV. Um, then they won the Grammy that year for um, Girls on, no, sorry, for Hungry Like the Wolf. And then the other nominees are Rod Stewart, Bill Wyman, and Todd, and Todd Rundgren. So it's all white men, which, like, let's be honest, MTV has had its share of diversity issues, which David Bowie rightfully called them out on in the 80s during an interview. They were not exactly very relevant at the Grammys in this category for many years. In fact, I looked at the list of nominees for Best Short Form Music Video for the first decade the Grammys started giving out that award. And in terms of people of color, it's Michael Jackson, Ashford and Simpson, Paula Abdul, USA for Africa, which I might add includes white people as well and is a big like just group of people, Louis Cardenas, and Vogue and Los Lobos. Those were the only artists of color nominated in the first decade or so the Grammy was offered for that category. I mean, remember when Los Lobos just used to clean up at award shows and you're like, what? Where did this come from? Truly. Who is this for? Yeah, Truly. and it's for like guilty white people. Guilty white people. The artists nominated for Video of the Year in the inaugural 1984 VMAs were The Cars, Herbie Hancock, who had that big hit in the 80s, Rocket, Michael Jackson, Cyndi Lauper, and The Police. The 1984 awards were held at Radio City Music Hall. And get this, the original, the first hosts. Can you you take a wild guess at who were the two first hosts of the VMAs? You'll never guess this. Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson? Slightly closer than you th- and then I would have thought, but it's Bette Midler and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> Who Dan Aykroyd was a part of USA for Africa, I guess. Oh, he was in We Are the I, World. <laughs> no, I don't oh God. Was this before or after nothing but trouble? Um, I believe this was before, which says a lot. <laughs> they wore astronaut suits at one point during the show. Oh, God. Yes. I remember this. <laughs> they featured performances by Rod Stewart, Huey Lewis in the News, who performed I Want a New Drug, Ray Parker Jr., who Huey Lewis later sued because Ghostbusters <laughs> sounds like that song, I Want a New Drug. David Bowie, Tina Turner, ZZ Top, and then Madonna's iconic Like a Virgin performance coming out of a wedding cake in a lingerie-esque wedding dress. It was uh, bonkers. Um, (laughs) There were, and that's, I mean, that's the beginning of Madonna's just career at the the VMAs. Like, I think other than Britney, I don't think there are any other artists who have had quite as many iconic performances, like maybe Beyonce, but really Madonna for that length of time has performed, you know, every couple or so years, probably not as much this last decade though. But also to be fair to Madonna and this last decade, it's really kind of fallen off, right? Like I would say, (laughs) (laughs) I think the most exciting things that have happened in the last decade on the VMAs have definitely been Britney's comeback performance uh, Mm -hmm. during the blackout era and then Beyonce's pregnancy announcement, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two things that I can think of worth mentioning in the last decade of the VMAs. Yeah, that's that's about true. There were 18 competitive categories for that first year, along with the Video Vanguard Award, which continues to be handed out and has since been renamed the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. Uh, Michael Jackson would win it in 1988, and the award was named three years later. The ceremony has always been held right around the time people are going back to school, so usually late August or early September, and has almost always been in New York or L.A., with exceptions of Miami in 2005, Las Vegas in 2007, and then Newark in 2019. That's right. Newark, New Jersey in 2019. Overall. And by the way, what I'm about to say, this is real math. I actually did the calculation before we recorded. <laughs> None of my usual on-air guesstimating for this this week's episode. Since 2014, 
When they started calculating cumulative views, and this doesn't include online views, but it's a little different than just the Nielsen sound scan, uh, viewership has gone down 38%. And this past year, the show was presented primarily in New York with, as you said earlier, Kiki Palmer hosting. Um, but the ceremony was obviously on person. There were 6.4 million viewers this year, down 5% from the previous year. Um, I want to point out a few of the more interesting, yes, that was a thing awards from yesteryear. Um, you'll probably talk about this a little later, but 1999 is the first and only year a Best Artist Website VMA was awarded. Um, How did you know I would talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with this category. Um, so I don't even know. It's so 1999. I don't even know how else to describe it. Why else? would you ever? To be honest, I was so fucking intrigued. I went to everyone's website. I mean, <laughs> were you? Able to, like, I, did you way back machine it? No, no, no. I went to their current website just out of curiosity because I said to myself, hey, self, would I give these websites an award or even like a nomination in this year? I mean, we can talk about it when we get to it, but I spent an inordinate amount of time on JLo's website, even though I don't like the design of it as much. Anyway. More <laughs> more on that award later, but that yes. happened. Uh, additionally, we've got Ringtone of the Year awarded in 2006. <laughs> Which only in 2006 went to Fort Minor featuring Holly Brooke, Where'd You Go? A song I had completely forgotten about until today, which was Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park's Side Project. It's the one where that like kind of ambient girl's like, Where'd you go? I missed you so. And then there's like rapping from Linkin Park guy, the non-Chester oh. Benning. Yeah. That guy. I don't remember that shit at all. I hadn't until today. Um, I had to play it, it was, on Spotify. And you mean to tell me that this was a popular ringtone and it won an award? Apparently. Um, quadruple Threat of the Year in 2007, won by Justin Timberlake. Uh, best okay. Video Game Soundtrack from 2004 to 2006 and Best Video Game Score in 2006. And then... Monster Single of the Year in 2007, which went to Umbrella. Um, there were several other kind of has-been video categories, but these were the ones that really kind of stuck out to me. Truly some wild ones, though, and some of them not even related to music videos. So I don't really know what we were doing handing those out, but you do you, MTV. Um, I have a little trivia for you, Margot. Uh, I've uh -oh. got... I've got three questions. Um, okay. Okay. The first one is, can you name the artist who's won the most moon people, I guess now, in one night? Is it Adele? No, it's uh, Peter Gabriel um, in the Pardon? 80s. Yes, Peter Gabriel won 10 awards in one night. What? That's fucking Not rigged, dude. I call for a recount. Hammer in the late 80s, which I love that song. That song is a great 80s song, but like, and it's a claymation music video. It's a oh, little. Oh, I know <laughs> because we have very similar parents, and I know your parents also fucked with Peter Gabriel and played that fucking song nonstop in your childhood. I personally, as you can guess, don't like it very much, uh, but the music video was cool because I was very into claymation at this age like had begun to get obsessed with um walls and grommet so i appreciate the music video turned all the way down it was so, yeah. in fact nick park's studio that was involved with that uh, oh. making of that video like pre wallace and grommet that was their big thing they did some of the segments for that video fun fact great well i can't believe the answer is peter gabriel but continue <laughs> can you name I'm not going to make you name all six artists, but can you name the six, any of the six artists with the most wins? Um, and this is to account for two artists that have been tied for fourth place. Um, is Britney one of them? No, surprisingly. Ugh. Uh, Taylor Swift? Nope. Hmm. Um, has NSYNC won anything? <laughs> no, not even Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is this going to be someone I hate? 
No. Is it going to be like Macklemore or something like that? <laughs> no, Is I mean, you honestly, if you kept guessing, I feel like you would have gotten these. Um, it's if be- I kept guessing, I was going to say like Imagine Dragons at one point. So <laughs> go ahead and put me out of my misery. Beyonce is the number one with 24 wins. Madonna, number two with 20. Lady Gaga with 18. Peter Peter Gabriel and Eminem are tied for 13. And then R.E.M. won 12 VMAs. I don't know. Like, losing my religion, I, like... (laughs) I don't know if that's what got them all these nom- like wins, but for some reason, REM is still on this list, even though they broke up like 20 years ago. My final bit of trivia for you is who is the most nominated director for the Best Direction VMA? Is it... Oh, God. His name's not Dave Matthews, but I wanted to call him that. Dave Myers? <laughs> no, but the first name is correct. Dave? Yes, or well, David. Um, I have no idea. David Fincher, actually. What? Yes. So in the um, late 80s to early 90s, he had a string yeah, of wins. Yeah, he was the big a nomination. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize he was nominated. And it was pre-seven. So like this is when he was still, I think he still does some music videos here and there. But like, I forgot how many, because I think when we think of like 90s VMA winners, like I, I have the list of who I was thinking of. Like, you know, there's Hype Williams, Spike Jones, Brett Ratner, Mark Romanek, Jonathan Dayton, Valerie Ferris, Jonas Ockerlon, Dave LaChapelle. I had not even like the idea of David Fincher had not crossed my mind just because in my lifetime, I suppose, or stream of consciousness, he's always been a TV movie director. Um, but yeah, he is the most nominated director for the Best Direction VMA. I think it's because a lot of these music videos were popular when I was not watching MTV that I completely forget about it. But I did know that David Fincher got his start as a music video director because in film school, I had a teacher who was obsessed with David Fincher. And so trust me, I fucking knew that. But I did not. I just forgot that he was like, he did like a bunch of Duran Duran music videos. And I forget which one is what got him like Aliens 3. But I... I've also conversely never watched a single one of his music videos, or at least not knowingly. So it's easy to forget. Yeah. Um, especially when, like, the to me, the most known thing or the first thing that I think of when I hear his name is Seven, not, you know, Hungry Like a Wolf or whatever fucking music video he did do <laughs> from Duran Duran. <laughs> In terms of 1999 VMAs, I, I think we talked about this before we started recording. Like, we have decided... Margot and I, that someone needs to pay us for doing this research because no one out there is writing any sort of 1999 VMAs oral history. And I don't really know why, to be honest. I think there is a lot of potential here. There is a lot was, to work with. What I was trying to say was that they should pay us to do more research so that we could actually have access to people and some sort of like, you know, legitimacy, like not just like two random you know, independent podcasters like, oh, we're being paid by the ringer or vulture or whatever uh, to do this research. And then I believe that Chris Rock perhaps may entertain talking to us about why he decided to host the VMAs a second time or whatever. But I feel like there was shockingly little about any of the backstory, especially for some of these like bigger moments, like Lauren Hill was like really at the top of her game and had won a bunch of Grammys already and she's playing the VMAs and she would go on to win like video of the year. And I have no idea. I mean, maybe it's just not that interesting, but I would love someone to perhaps ask like if there was any sort of forethought into being in the VMAs, like if it mattered, it was also sort of like a year where they were, you know, kind of really hyping up this like party at the end of the world kind of thing Mm -hmm. or like, you know, I mean, especially in Chris Rock's monologue, he makes a lot of jokes about how he thought that we would be, you know, perhaps a little bit more advanced at this point in the future. And I I mean, God, must he be disappointed by 2020 at this point? Because, like, you know, no real hoverboards, like nothing really cool, like just really sort of like real life supervillains, which is not fun. No. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I would 100% agree with you. Uh, This is, but what's fascinating to me is this is, to this day, one of the most watched VMAs. Like, the 1999 VMAs drew 11.96 million viewers. The only VMAs to have had more viewers since the VMAs were measured using the Nielsen rating system. Um, So MTV started adopting that in 1994. 
they were the 2011 VMAs, which I couldn't totally remember off the top of my head. That is not the Kanye West Taylor Swift one because that's 2009. But the show was directed by Beth McCarthy Miller, who prior to the 99 VMAs was this iconic director at MTV, most notably directing many of the MTV Unplugged specials, which I should note are actually inspired by Bon Jovi's acoustic performance of Living on a Prayer and Wanted Dead or Alive at the 1988 VMAs. Um, so some producers saw that performance, were like, hey, we can make a show out of this. So that's, that's where MTV Unplugged comes from. Um, McCarthy Miller is most notably uh, known for directing the Nirvana, Neil Young, and Stone Temple Pilots MTV Unplugs. I feel like the Nirvana one's probably the most iconic. Um, additionally, she's directed a number of the VMAs, including all of the ones from 1996 to 99, 2001 to 2003, and 2005. And she's gone on to be a big sitcom director. She's been a director on 30 Rock, Parks and Recreation, The Mini Project, and she directed 218 episodes of SNL from 1995 to 2006. Um, in addition to Chris Rock, obviously writing a lot of his material for the show, other writers included Caprice Crane, who's best known for writing several other for several other VMAs, episodes of both the 90210 and Melrose Place reboots. And the movie Love, Wedding, Marriage, which I forgot about, but is that movie with Mandy Moore and the Emmett Cullen brother from the Twilight movies where they're a married couple. Dave Drabik, sorry if I mispronounced that, he's best known for writing on Politically Correct with Bill Maher, The Late Show with David Letterman, Fast Forward, and several ESPY awards. Tracy Grandstaff, who's best known for writing on The Tom Green Show, The Nickelodeon Show, Taina, and being the voice of Daria. She is also a writer amazing career. And then finally, Matthew C. Mills, best known for writing a number of MTV specials, directing several of the MTV Unplugged revival specials, including Adele, Katy Perry, and Paramore. Um, And he's also known for directing a couple of lesser known cooking shows, ones that I didn't recognize, um, Mancrafted, Filling is Mutual, uh, along with the throwback Bravo specials and the World Series of Video Games. And that's a little bit about the behind the scenes. I have a few things on uh, trivia, one being that the producers of the show tried to coax the former boy band New Kids on the Block to perform at the ceremony and present an award, but that didn't work out. Other than that, you know, really the one thing I want to point out is that Paul McCartney, (laughs) when he announced the Video of the Year Award for Lauren Hill, called her Lawrence Hill, which I believe might be one of the most perfect band names of all time. But that's that's really what I have for uh, the 1999 MTV VMAs. Someone hire us to write a better oral history. Well, there's still some aspects of the show itself that we should get into. We're going to start things off with the man of the hour, the MC, the person who actually has the hardest job in the room because... Oh, boy. MTV has really tried to recapture the particular magic of Chris Rock. And I think a lot of award show try to. And I think it really proves to show that hosting an award show is a very delicate balance that only so so many people are good at, but probably don't want to do more than three or four times. And to find their replacement, you're always kind of grasping at straws. And in 2019, MTV got Sebastian Maniscalco for the job, who, unlike Rock's younger fan base at the time who knew him from SNL absolutely no one but your parents had no had a fucking clue who Sebastian was and it ended up being a big old flop of a host situation for them I'm sorry who exactly they even did a segment on who weekly about him and I really could not remember anything about him other than he's like the type of comedian that's like hey my wife and like that's it (laughs) (laughs) you know he makes like a lot of you know old school catholic like no he's italian so he he does like a lot of like mamma mia humor you know mamma mia (laughs) that just reminds me of like what is like father guido sarducci type of thing (laughs) yeah it's very much i i don't know like 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 pg-13 sopranos it's just a little it didn't work is what i'm trying to tell you uh and that was the last like stand-up comedian that they tried to do in recent history i looked it up and i was i remembered that whole debacle but chris rock had hosted the 1997 vmas another iconic year and 
99 was what you would call his no sex in the champagne room era Chris Rock. Some might say this is also like peak Chris Rock. His second HBO special and a personal fave, Bigger and Blacker, had just come out in July. Movie-wise, this was post-Lethal Weapon 4 and Dogma. He starts his hosting duties with a legendary monologue slash roast, and he kind of comes for everybody. For Puff, he he tells Puffy, don't name your album forever because we know you're going to come back in three months. He makes fun of Blair Witch Project. He calls the NSYNC boys Spice Boys. It's all very funny, and honestly, you could watch it today, as I did, and realize that it's actually still as timely as it ever was, which is sort of the best part of Chris Rock's just general comedy. He also takes a jab at New Kids on the Block, so it's very interesting that you brought up that piece of trivia saying that the Backstreet Boys are going to move the same end. Well, the joke is, why the hell would you want to be a Backstreet Boy? Don't, didn't you see New Kids on the Block? Don't you know how this movie's going to end? He also said, Backstreet Boys, what's the front street? Sesame Street? Because, I mean, they're so fucking harmless. <laughs> I, I, also, I was oh, go just going to say, I wonder if he wrote that monologue I know it's easy to like do a funny jab at like new kids on the block, but I do wonder if he had written that monologue with the knowledge that they were maybe trying to get new kids on the block to perform that night. I wouldn't be surprised, especially since he's a very quick joke writer as well. If he just kind of, if that fell through at the last minute, like updated his monologue. But I think the particular appeal of Chris Rock during this time period specifically too was that enough of his fan base was familiar with him when he was on SNL that we followed his career and him hosting the MTV VMAs was cool for parents who thought that he was really funny and watched his stand-up specials and it was cool for kids who really loved his sketch comedy and although a lot of his jokes kind of go over your head that are maybe um, uh, a little deep for kids that aren't just like surface level like oh lol in sync or the spice boys or whatever you know like that's a very graspable joke or like even though it is kind of gross like asking which backstreet boy is gonna like knock up britney spears and kind of like ruin this evangelical um image that they'd all develop for themselves so like even though that's a little cringe like you can still laugh at it versus like you know him making more of his political and social commentary that he's best known for but that's why it still holds up now even like the jokes about the pop acts and even just like pop culture in general. Like I really do feel like in retrospect, the size of Jennifer Lopez's ass, especially now has truly been overblown. Like the way that they made her seem like her ass was like ginormous. He has this whole joke about how she has two limos, one for her, one for her ass. I'm like, are we joking? Like it's not, I mean, I get it. You're joking, but like, I I really feel like that joke. I was like, really? Come on now. That's but not even that original. But it was such a original. big thing for several years. Yes. For some reason, they made a big joke out of that. And I was always just like, clearly they have no for one, not funny kind of sexist, but two, like no foresight into the world of ass implants that would be 2020. Like they had- It really feels no dated. Clue. So yeah. dated. Just you wait. If you think that is a big ass, just wait. I guess with a few tweaks, you could probably still make that joke relevant, I suppose. But it was still just, I don't know. That was the one joke that kind of took me out of the moment, or took me out of the awards for a moment. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot how big of a deal this was to everyone for some reason. Anyway, I think that the performances, though, are kind of a perfect time capsule of 1999 music and we've talked about some of these artists and these singles in previous episodes because as i said at the top we have talked about the year 1999 and the music therein a lot over the last year and a half hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. So because I wasn't able to watch the award show in full, I don't know what order these people showed up in. So I'm just going to go with my order. And, you know, if you know what the real order is, please let me know. But we're going to start things off with a thing that made me roll my eyes the most. Kid Rock featuring Run DMC, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry. He sang Ba with the Ba. That's what he opened with. And also, I should note that um, they opened... Uh, the VMAs and and, like got Chris Rock on stage by having a choir sing an acapella version of Ba with the Ba and I believe Kid Rock off to the side and I I didn't put it together at the time but in hearing it now especially after watching this performance like kind of going out of order um, it is Chris it is Kid Rock screaming off stage into a mic that this is Chris Rock because like he has this kind of like high pitched like Justin like Justin Bieber baby baby air like high pitched quality to his shout that is very distinctly Kid Rock and so Kid Rock and a choir covering Ba with the Ba is who brought out Chris Rock and I was like oh this is extreme 1999 vibes like I really so this performance is also to me a great encapsulation because they had Run DMC and um, Steven Tyler come out and join him. And I really do feel like when Steven Tyler and Joe Perry show up, they kind of blow Kid Rock out of the water in terms of like, it feels like he gets ganged up on by the end of his performance because he is so he is such a shitty musician. Like, I don't even I said it. He his pitch is he's screeching. He's literally screeching. He I do not ever need to see this man without his fucking blouse on ever again. Like, no. please cover it up. Like, it is just like you have to look. You cannot share the same stage with AJ McLean, who is literally wearing a crop top, but also like has abs. At least you cannot be doing this to me and my eyes. Like, I am very no, upset with your stringy ass hair. The laziness, the laziness. lack of commitment. And I do have a quick Kid Rock story to share um, oh that is the perfect encapsulation of the late 90s, early 2000s. Before I got to my high school, this is in 2002, my high school was a part of a reason that the local radio station was fined $55,000 by the FCC. There was a competition for local girls to win to be cage dancers at a Kid Rock concert, which is probably oh the God. Oh, most- you told this story. Oh, I have told. Okay, then I won't tell it again, but it is just the wildest. I mean, what what were we thinking? Why did we decide that Kid Rock, of all people, would be someone that would get to sell like millions of albums for a steady like three to four year period in pop culture? I don't know. I don't know. I think what pisses me off about Chris, uh, Chris Rock, what, what pisses me off about Kid Rock the most now, especially like in retrospect, is that he really like prides himself on this sort of like, I'm from the trailer parks. I'm just like you. But he comes from like a millionaire family. Like truly fuck this dude. Yeah, it's like uh, Larry so the his, Cable Guy. It's the same exact thing. I really, I can't. St- he's just so, he's so annoying in this performance. But. Run DMC and having them with Steven Tyler and like some of Aerosmith was, you know, kind of like the nice part. But then every time you'd hear Chris Rock screech, Chris Rock, God damn it. Why do I keep doing that? Every time you hear Kid Rock come screeching up, it just sort of like ruins the whole thing. And yeah, it was not a pleasant memory. It doesn't matter how much Adidas you guys all have on. I, I, I did not care for the Kid Rock performance. Then I have Lauren, quote, Lawrence Hill, who did... um 
I mean, so it's, the tendency is that people do like a remix or two, like a medley, a, a mixture of a few songs. So Lauren Hill did Lost Ones and Everything is Everything. The quality of this video was very, very bad. But Bowie introed her and didn't fuck up her name. So that was good. As somebody that's seen her live, she is great, but she is a singer who sings, meaning that she's not really like dancing around on stage like she's, you know, she's singing into the mic. So it it was kind of difficult to see what was happening, but it sounded great for the quality of um, the visual. It sounded much better than it looked. Do you remember this performance? I do. I do. Um, And that what's fun fact about everything is everything is that piano part is actually played by a young John Legend. He, um, yeah, so he got to be a part of that recording that track. And Lauren Hill loved him so much that she asked him to join her on his tour. And uh, he was a student at UPenn at the time, I think. And he said no, because he wanted to finish his degree. But he actually talked about that earlier on in the pandemic when he and Chrissy Teigen did a live show from their living room. I think YouTube was doing a series of live shows, but he told that story and I thought that was fascinating. Fun tidbit. Mm-hmm. All right. Next performance I have are the Backstreet Boys singing a medley of I Want It That Way and Larger Than Life because that's the album cycle that we were on at this point. And I got to say, a- another, you know, crisp clip, thank God, and bless the Backstreet Boys team. The screaming and cheering is so deafening at the beginning. You cannot fucking hear them sing with their mics on. I mean, I'm not even. It was. I felt like the first 30 seconds or whatever of their performance perfectly encapsulates the peak of their fucking career. Like just could not hear a single thing. I I really had forgotten how loud it was probably because I was also shrieking. So um, as I said before, AJ is in a crop top, which I cannot stop talking about thoughts do you remember aj's crop top i do remember and again fever dream or am i remembering this correctly was he wearing a cowboy hat yes they all had dumb hats on oh no nick didn't because in my notes i have nick looks hot with this hair length because i remember this specific look and i was like yes semi bad boy nick carter yes i was in (laughs) i was into this slightly longer than like mushroom hair length Next, I have Ricky Martin singing She's All I Ever Had, which is a big old snooze of a song, and Living La Vida Loca. He was introed by Chris Rock, who not only makes jokes about him in his stand-up Bigger and Blacker, but also made jokes about him to his face in the opening monologue roast. So I thought it was very interesting that he also introed him. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Ricky has a great sense of humor, apparently. Anyway, the beginning notes of She's All I Ever Had were uh, pitchy is a kind way to describe it. Um, Screechy is perhaps another way to describe it. But once he gets out of this like ballad that he feels like he's obligated to perform, Living Livy Did Loca is very fun. But also Ricky Martin's barefoot on stage, which I, you know, raise a little John Frusciante eyebrow at. Um, So (laughs) not a fan of men being barefoot on stage. No, not a fan of. Barefoot anyone. Like, no, barefoot anyone, gross. But like, I also like don't love a man in a flip flop. So like, I don't want to see you barefoot on stage. And you know how they have those pits that are like at foot level. <laughs> so why would you not be wearing shoes? I don't I, know. You know, unless Tarantino is like up front here getting to enjoy, like, there is just. <laughs> It's just, I mean, it would be, you'd have to bear witness to like finding out who just has the most disgusting feet in Hollywood really is if you, you know, you're the recipient or the audience attendee who is in the front row of that spectacle. Like, ugh, ugh. Yikes. Moving swiftly to Nine Inch Nails playing The Fragile, one of the few bands that only played one song. It's kind of hard to watch Trent Reznor now objectively thinking about who he will become because the song sounds like everything else he's ever made and like it could belong on a soundtrack that he's working on today. This was a few years away from my goth phase. So I didn't give a shit about this performance. And when I rewatched it, I mean, you know, the light stroby show is very, a lot of bands will kind of copy this look later on. It's very like, 99 industrial rave he's got the Mm -hmm. he's in all black he's got his hair in his face i mean trent Reznor also looks exactly the same to me so it was just sort of i mean it's just like watching nine channels perform or trent Reznor perform i don't know it's sort of like a lateral move i think 
It's just interesting to me that they had him perform that year because I feel like Nine Inch Nails had a huge, I mean, they were still big at that point, but not quite like as the early to mid 90s. And then they had a resurgence, I think, in the like early to mid 2000s. And then obviously, you know, Trent Reznor would go on to do a bunch of scores. But for me, it's an interesting choice of performers considering 1999 to me is the year of like new metal. And I I, I know you'll get into this, but they're... uh, I'm just surprised there wasn't more of a new metal presence. Oh, now I remember. Because <laughs> you were ta- you said new metal, and then I thought of Limp Bizkit, but then I really wanted to talk to you about how when we talked I- uh, in the season three premiere about Y2K, and we were talking about that Time article that was sort of like predicting trends and what was you know what was hot in the streets or whatever. Like Time was trying to tell your grandparents what was hot in the streets, um, and they had talked about how you know, 99 was like the year of the raver and like industrial music oh, was like, yeah. like on the underground. So I feel like maybe that superseded new metal that year only because new metal was, you know, for lack of a better term, new still, and they weren't yeah. quite sure how popular it was. But this, I think that this fan of MTV will always kind of be there. And I think that Nine Shells is kind of like a safe choice. Like they could have Nine Shells like literally any year, which maybe speaks to, how good the music is or how yeah. time timeless it is. But the Nine Inch Nails thing, I was, I think also as somebody that's like seen them live, I'm like, okay, it's just like watching them live. I've, I've seen, I've seen this show. Um, one show I have not been ever to, been able to see live before, but would love to is TLC performing no scrubs. Prince introduced them and, you know, Candy Burris did not have to go so hard on this song, but here we are. This song is an actual timeless banger. I <laughs> heard a story about uh, the, day that it was like Biden won the election uh someone went out into the streets and the very first thing that they heard was somebody blasting no scrubs and like people in that car like scream singing it like you know directed <laughs> at Trump so this i mean no scrubs sing it anytime any place to a lot of different people and things i mean what a great song there's also a great dance break to dance too much booty in the pants which is just a delight and I mean, it's the long version because we still have Lisa Left Eye Lopez with us, RIP. So she gets to do her longer rap break, which is also great. And they're dressed exactly like they are in the music video. And it's just, it's just a great, what a great performance. I just love TLC and no scrubs. What else can I say? Uh, I mean, I just, I still remember that one. So that's one of the ones I probably remember the most definitively just so well done, so well executed. Uh, Prince introduction, like chef's kiss, so good. Ugh. We just, you just don't get them that like that anymore. No. I mean, and it was, you know, the height of fan mail and that song. Like, you could not escape that song. And it's one of the few big radio hits that I do not get tired of listening to. And so it was fun to watch it or hear it and, like, watch it in a different way. What felt like kind of like the first time. It had been a really long time since I'd seen even just this performance. The music video, like, a gajillion times over, but not this performance. We also have Fatboy Slim, who was in the middle of like an incredible year with Praise You. And my watch note is, is that it's basically the music video, but live. It was fine. <laughs> the one note about this one that I should say is that the winner, the w- who ends up winning for Best Direction, MTV, the VMA that year, it's not Spike Jones for Praise You. It's the Torrance Community Dance Group. So I do appreciate that they went with the joke full on into this performance, even down to the winning of the VMA. So props to Fatboy Slim and Spike Jones for that. Yeah, I gotta love not dropping character performance art. <laughs> Next, I have Jay-Z, who had a bunch of other people on stage with him. He did a medley of Jigga. Can I get a hard knock life? Ironically, the last time I saw a large group of white people sing rap the N-word with Reckless Abandon was at a Jay-Z show. So it was very apropos that it was happening at this VMA performance. And they did not even bleep all of the N-words, which was very, I was very taken aback. I don't know if this clip upload was like direct from uh, from like a TV, like a re-air. I don't know. But um, they didn't bleep all of them. And I was... Uh, my eyebrows were raised <laughs> the first time I heard it. Um, fun fact, DMX was scheduled to perform, but he was a no-show. So as a result, Jay-Z had an extremely extended set, which was why he like brought out DJ Clue and a couple of other people. 
This actually oh, continued sorry, into 2000. They asked DMX again oh, really? to perform. He said he he dropped out at the last minute again and had they had Nelly instead. Wow. Yeah, that reminds me of the time that I was really excited to see clips at Coachella and um they were a no-show and then we later come to find out that one of them was arrested for drug possession and that's why he didn't make his flight. <laughs> They're from Virginia. Okay. <laughs> Then we have Britney Spears and NSYNC. Britney sings a remix of Baby One More Time that leads into tearing up my heart. This is the very beginning of Britney. This is her first VMA performance. And you recognize, because it's like the early goings of a career, you recognize a lot of the dancers in this performance from her music videos. Specifically, this dude TJ who has like a like a brownish or reddish bowl cut uh, he raises his hand in like the little sketch part of the show that starts the performance. Brittany is channeling her inner Janet in this with her leather outfit and Rhythm Nation dance moves. She intros in sync and they do that like gorillas thing with like their heads on a TV screen while they dance. And then they have like a good old fashioned dance party to a remix. It's a really fun performance. I think that they were really excited to be there and I really enjoyed the rewatch in a you know, again, bless their teams for uploading uh, clear and good sound clips to YouTube. Iconic. I have no other words. <laughs> no, thank you. No notes. Okay. Last performance, although I don't truly know if this was the last performance of the night. Eminem, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg. My name is Guilty Conscience, nothing but a G thing. It was fine, but it really pops when Dre shows up and they basically reenact the music video. I believe this is Eminem's debut VMA performance. He looks like a yes. baby and hasn't really quite gotten the stage, onstage confidence and charisma fully down pat. I think that comes the next year when he does My Name Is, or not My Name Is, I'm sorry. Uh, well, real the real Martian Others. Thank you. So I think that's his sort of his best performance at the VMAs. And he seems still kind of like green in this one, but... You know, promising start. He also gets roasted in the beginning for, you know, being a white guy who pretends that he's black, which I thought was funny. <laughs> so let's go into some nominees. As you said, video of the year was presented by Paul McCartney, who calls Lauren Hill Lawrence Hill, which is, you know, very um Adele Nazim of him. <laughs> <laughs> But the other nominees that year for Video of the Year were Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way, Corn, Freak on a Leash, Ricky Martin, Living La Vida Loca, and Will Smith's Wild Wild West. What a Wild Wild West. Um, <laughs> I really can't. I cannot see that that whole title together without hearing Wicked Wild Wild West. Um, so, so Patton Oswalt was a writer for the MTV Movie Awards that year, where Will oh. Smith, in fact, performed that song. And he has an amazing stand-up routine where he talks about it. And I, I like, I don't want to even try to do it justice. I, I can't do it justice, um, but it is very fun. I highly recommend looking it up. I just think this is such an interesting array of music videos and shows how weird of a year musically <laughs> it was. Uh, for Best Meal Video, Will Smith wins, but we also have Eminem for My Name Is, Lenny Kravitz, Fly Away, which is that music video where he's like in one room like, and the camera shakes the whole time. It's fine because I don't mind just watching Lenny Kravitz perform, but um, <laughs> that's what I remember from the music video. Uh, and then we have Ricky Martin, who was having, you know, a a cleanup sort of year. He was, like, also nominated for a Grammy. Best group video went to TLC for No Scrubs. But this was also another interesting year with, like, a glimmer of, like you said, new metal peeking through. So we have Backstreet Boys for best group video. I want it that way. But Limp Bizkit's Nookie is sandwiched oh. between InSing's Tearing Up My Heart and Sugar Ray's Every Morning. <laughs> Oh, my God. Directed by Fred Durst. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you watch his movie with John Travolta, like that stalker movie? No, but I probably will at one point in this pandemic no. or no, in, quote, not in these good. dark times. It's not good. It's actually like so unnecessarily violent. And I feel bad for Devin Sawa. I, I would not. Rec I do not recommend. We He's did not finish. Twitter. Twitter follow, by the way. Shout out to Devin Sawa. Always enjoy his tweets. Yeah. If anybody's friends with Devin Sawa, please pass Emily's shout out along. Okay. <laughs> so, so many I guess questions maybe... about the stand music video. 
Well, that's a great segue because I think uh, I was correct in my guess that this is Eminem's first year at the VMAs because he he wins Best New Artist Music Video for My Name Is. But he is in the company of Kid Rock's Ba Wata Ba, Jennifer Lopez's If You Had My Love, and Orgy's Blue Monday. Again, like there's always like one like what <laughs> video in there. Wasn't that on a soundtrack? Wasn't that like on the faculty soundtrack? Maybe it's a cover of the of the new, of the New Order song. But isn't that a? I feel like that's on a movie soundtrack. I think it's on a couple from this year. Yeah, not this year, like twenty, like ninety nine that year. Yeah. <laughs> um. Somehow, Ricky Martin beats out Backstreet Boys, J Lo, NSYNC, and Britney Spears with "Living La Vida Loca." But the best rock video goes to Corn for "Freak on a Leash," and we have Offspring's "Pretty Fly for a White Guy" that was also nominated in the same category with, I guess, Lenny Kravitz's "Rock." So. I'm going to just go ahead. Oh, and Jay-Z won for Best Rap Music Video. But Best Hip Hop Video was Beastie Boys Intergalactic. And they took home the first ever hip hop award. And they beat out Buster Rhymes for What's It Gonna Be, Lauryn Hill, and TLC's No Scrubs. Wow. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm surprised this was the first year. I mean, MTV, again, not great with showing artists of color for many years on on their music in terms of music video selection. But I'm, I'm just very surprised that it was the first year they offered a hip hop video award i guess they just thought best rap video kind of covered it but the other rap nominations i think are interesting tupac's changes dmx rough riders anthem which i'm sure he probably would have played if he had shown up nas nas's hate me now with which also had puff on it which i don't know he doesn't help the song i'll tell you that much i think i'm going oh so, you know, Madonna racks up another win this year as well because best video from a film is Madonna's Beautiful Stranger from Austin Powers. Mm. And somehow that beat out Aaliyah's Are You That Somebody, which I forget is from the Dr. Doolittle soundtrack this originally. Is where I was a little surprised, Margot, that you did not bring up Chris Rock's work that had happened a year prior where he voiced a guinea pig in the Dr. Doolittle movie. I was a little shocked. <laughs> oh, you best believe I scrolled right past that credit on IMDb. I'm like, not talking about that. I'm not getting into this. <laughs> I think we talked about it a little bit, but you had mentioned that Fat Boy Slim had won Best Direction and the Torrance Community Dance Group had won that award. But Best Choreography in a video was also Praise You, but they don't credit the Torrance Community Dance Group. They credit Richard Kofi and Michael Rooney. I don't know if those are members or what part of the performance are this intersects. But I didn't even realize that they had a best choreography in a music video. And this beat out Ricky Martin's Living in the Video Loca, which I, okay, I, I, I guess we can call that choreography. Will Smith's Wicked Wild Wild West, whose choreographer was Fatima Robinson, who's huge at the time. And Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. How do you beat Baby One More Time? Randy, I, Randy Connor at the top of his game. I mean, the choreographers that are nominated that year, and I say this as someone, again, we have mentioned many times, I am long overdue for a Praise You video tutorial. Um, <laughs> but in terms of fine choreography that year, I you know, I bet you the people voting, because this is before, um, before online voting, because now it's like all people's online votes that determine the VMAs. Uh, but I wonder if it was just like, the people people got together got super high and we're just like let's let's give it to praise you <laughs> everybody fucking loves that video it's great <laughs> i gotta shout out corn wins for best video editing and best cinematography in a video goes to martin copen who is the cinematographer for the dope show and he also is a cinematographer behind holes malibu and also beat out madonna's beautiful stranger freak on a leash and will smith's Miami. I, I also had to fight myself from singing a little part of Miami. Now, the category we've all been waiting to talk about, best artist website. All right. I'm going to tell you who was, I'm going to tell you who was nominated and you have to guess who won unless you already know who won. And that might not I be already fun. know. Okay. Well, we had Dave. I think my favorite is limp-biscuit.com. Some asshole in Florida who hated Fred Durst bought the domain without the dash. <laughs> I love that so much. And then uh, massiveattack.co.uk also gets me. But I can't believe redhotchilipeppers.com took the 99 VMA 
for best artist website, beating out David Bowie, Cheryl Crow, Jennifer Lopez, who has a great website, you guys, and Smashing Pumpkins. But yeah, I love limp-bizkit.com. Like, you fuckheads. Okay. And lastly, but not leastly, viewer's choice. So Backstreet Boys finally get a win, and they win viewer's choice for I Want It That Way. And a little behind the scenes, a stranger comes onto the stage and says, wake up at three. This person was later revealed to be John Del Signor, who crashed the ceremony in a failed attempt to sell Viacom a show idea. (laughs) Just crashing Backstreet Boys. Oh, God. That's like, what is it? Horatio Hornblower when one of the Beastie Boys dressed up and like crashed. I'm forgetting who's whose award when they crashed, but this was like in the mid nineties that like showed up in like leader Hosen and a costume, like <laughs> or remember That's where the dude who crashed oh, um, Bob Dylan's performance with the soy, soy bomb. bomb. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is kind of similar, but other than that, those were all of the nominees. I think it's a perfect encapsulation of the music, <laughs> the deranged amount of music that was out that everybody was listening to. Uh, Cause the other viewer choice, nominees were all throughout the categories because I feel like at a certain point we're just kind of like renominating the same people for different things in different categories but Backstreet Boys finally get a win they beat out in sync definitively beating them out for the year of 99 because their album Millennium at that time was just doing gangbusters and then the following year in sync will totally blow them away with no strings attached so you know we get we got to cover the 2000 BMAs but until then I think the most iconic moment that everybody wants us to talk about is little Kim's boob grab by Diana Ross. <laughs> Cause what I think is most interesting that I found out from uh, the most interesting Google result that I got was that Mary J. Blige was actually pissed that that had happened. And oh, you can God. obviously tell from her face that she was not stoked to be a party to the boob grab on national television. Um, I think maybe she thought it was a little too D class A, but yes, I think it was some interview last year or earlier this year where somebody brought it up to her and she was like, I was so upset. And I think you can tell I was upset. I didn't want to be a part of that. So there you Uh, go. Your, your suspicions have now been confirmed. She was not happy. (laughs) (laughs) I did read a quick interview with Misa Hilton who designed um, her outfit for the VMAs. And she said, apparently it was made with, um, fabric that's usually used for wedding saris and uh as she's what she said which i love the quote this is from like a a vogue article was quote it has been a gift that continues to give so many trends and interpretations have been inspired the ripple effect of these ideas are global and i love that for her i mean it's a great outfit and then miley famously dressed up like little Kim at the VMAs for Halloween a couple of years ago. And it was a very good replication. I think, I think the other iconic moment from this 99 VMA is that I think is more potent now than to like a 12 year old. Then, uh, was a Shakur and Big's mom were, went mm-hmm. on stage together. Oh, to yeah. sort of be like a, Georgetta a Wallace, United- I think is her name. Georgetta Thank Wallace. You. Yes, I did. Yeah, I was. I just wrote Big's mom. (laughs) (laughs) I watched enough behind the musics to know. (laughs) But I thought that was a really poignant moment, especially now that they kind of showed a a united front during a time where people wanted them to kind of, I don't know, pick a side or be like against each other. Do you have any iconic moments uh, that you remember that stick out to you? I think those are the biggest ones. I do remember um, this was also one of the first times we saw Britney in a really, not during her performance, but her actual VMA red carpet look was a Todd Oldham, like sheer coat thing. Like she was wearing a long blouse that was sheer apart from like fur to cover her boobs. And I remembered that this was one of Britney's like first besides the baby one more time look one of her first kind of really controversial outfits and like was just a nice predecessor or or prologue to what would be next year's you know flesh colored bodysuit for oops i did it again yeah i looked at some of like the red carpet pictures as well and they're you know i know it's the vma so people kind of like dress a little bit more eccentrically than they would for perhaps like the grammys or something but I think also the red carpet is a perfect swath of like what fashion looked like in 99. Like Christina Aguilera has 
some like leopard overcoat and like has what I can describe as like mall hair, you know, where you like put it up yeah. with like a gajillion little pins and shit. I just feel like everybody, you know, everybody looks because I think the batch of artists that were coming up that year were so new and it, they look new. And I don't mean that to sound like a diss, like everybody has to start somewhere, obviously. But I just compared to what we know of them now, it is it, it is fun to see them look I wouldn't say like a deer in headlights but like oh wow like I have made it on to the red carpet for the VMAs for sure no I would 100% agree I think there's a bit of a mishmash of like who had a stylist who didn't and like just not really knowing because VMAs it is kind of this middle of the road do I dress up do I dress down like it's a free for all. I mean, people, have, men have been known to wear wife beaters at that show many times. So, you know, you just don't really know. Any other 1999 VMA thoughts before we wrap up this episode? I think we've, we've covered it all really at this point. We've covered all that we can without further yes. financing yes. to yes. lure people of a uh, higher stature than us to talk to us about it. So until that day comes, Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Hopefully this is another episode implying that you've listened to more than one of Old Millennials. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please make sure that you subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts or is it I. Is it Apple Podcast now? I forget. Yes. Stitcher. Yes. Stitcher, Google. However, we're on every platform except for the Amazon podcast because I think they're still working that out for themselves. Correct. You can also leave us a review. We love five stars. You can write a review. We love reading those. They're great. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Old Millennials Pod if you want to keep up to date with what we're up to and our release schedules. And, you know, just we have some good pictures up there, I think, that correspond with the episode, Drew. If you really want to see some fun throwbacks, please check out our Instagram. And you can also read some extended notes that that have to do with this podcast on Medium. Emily wrote a very interesting piece about the Baja men and who let the dogs out. Well, don't you want to read that? We're at Old Millennials Pod on Medium. And of course, you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And until next time, bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.